Hi, this is Erica Potter. And this is Hunter Willis. And this is Hot Girl Briefing. Hey, Erica. Hey, Hunter. What country are we going to be talking about today on today's country analysis? We are talking about New Zealand, which I think we might have mentioned in a few episodes before, but we've never really gone into detail with it. So I'm excited to talk about it with you today. Mm -hmm. Okay. So do you want to give a kind of like a brief overview of the history of New Zealand, Erica? So Polynesian settlers were the first to arrive in the late 1200s and had widespread settlement in the mid 1300s. Tribes or iwi started to compete with each other due to large game going extinct in the late 1500s. And then Dutch explorer Abel Tasman was actually the first European to the islands in 1642, but he sailed away after an encounter with the local Maori. Then Mm -hmm. British captain James Cook became the second European who arrived in 1769. And then you have the UK claiming New Zealand as their own. And so essentially what the UK thought that they had done, and this is hundreds of years later at this point after 1769, this is or not hundreds of years later after 1769, but this is after 1769. The UK thought in the contract that, you know, they had signed with the Maori over land that they were exchanging in return for British protection over New Zealand. They had thought that the translations were giving them full land. However, in the translations, it was lost in the translation that it, essentially gave the British less authority, and that is actually still being actively disputed today within New Zealand. Longest court case ever, I guess. <laughs> Pretty much. It's one of the longer ones. And so you have New Zealand also providing more than 100,000 troops in each world war. New Zealand reaffirmed its independence in 1947 and signed the Australia, New Zealand, and U.S. Treaty, also known as ANZUS. And in 1984, New Zealand started to adopt nuclear-free policies, and this essentially contributed to a a dispute with the U.S. over naval ship visits, quote, that led the U.S. to suspend its defense obligations to New Zealand in 1986. So we will talk about that a little bit more later, but for now, we're just going to go over kind of the bare necessities and basics of how New Zealand is composed. Yeah, so it's about the size of Colorado, which is where hunter resides right now fun fact if you didn't know denver was in colorado (laughs) for all of our newer listeners (laughs) yep and the natural resources of new zealand include natural gas iron ore sand coal timber hydropower gold and limestone and their Mm -hmm. natural hazards we will actually be talking about the timber component a little bit later as well Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, natural hazards also include earthquakes and volcanic activity since they are situated on the ring of fire, which is a belt of volcanoes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the population of New Zealand, it's nearly 5 million people. Over three quarters of the population, though, live in the North Island, including the indigenous Maori. And you have 1.652 million people living in Auckland. And then you have 419,000 people living in the capital of Wellington. So fun fact, Auckland, not the capital. The capital is actually Wellington. So is Wellington where Beef Wellington from Gordon Ramsay comes from? The people (laughs) want to know, Hunter. (laughs) I don't have that answer for us. I don't have that answer for us. (laughs) All right, I'll just reach out to Gordon Ramsay, I guess. There you go. Please do. (laughs) Yeah, so the government includes a parliamentary democracy under a 
constitutional monarchy and disputed areas include Cook Islands. I'm going to butcher this and I'm prefacing that. New? New? And Tokelau. Tokelau. Yep. yep. Hundreds of so, <laughs> Help with the pronunciation. I only know Tokelau because I actually had to study it a bit in one of my capstone classes in undergrad. So, but yeah, you also had New Zealand. It, so ultimately, I did gain independence from the United Kingdom in 1907. And citizenship in New Zealand comes by at least one parent being a citizen of New Zealand. However, for naturalization, you do need three years uh, to satisfy the residency requirement. So just to go over a little bit about how the government is composed, the executive branch, the chief of state is no surprise, Queen Elizabeth II, you know, part of the Commonwealth. However, you do have the head of government being prime minister, Jacinda Ardern. You have the legislative branch, a unicameral house of representatives also called parliament. So just one house here. And then for the judicial branch, you have the Supreme Court, and that includes five justices, which one of which is the chief justice. And New Zealand, in regards to America, has consulates general in Honolulu, Los Angeles, and New York. Now let's talk about their economy. I know it's our favorite, least favorite. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I go back and forth with it, honestly. Yeah. One day it's cool. Some days it's eh, just numbers, Mm -hmm. but so their GDP in 2019 was 205.202 billion. Their exports include dairy products, sheep and goat meats, lumber, beef products, and fresh fruits. And in in 2020, there was 50.43 billion worth of exports with the main partners being China at 28% taking the top, Australia at 14%, and the United States at 9%, and last but not least, Japan at 6%. Mm -hmm. And then their imports they had in 2020 was 47.86 billion. The commodities were cars, crude petroleum, refined petroleum, delivery trucks, and gas turbines. And the main partners were again with China at the number one spot of 18%, Australia at 15%, United States at 9%, Japan at 6%, and then Germany with the least amount at 5%. Mm-hmm. So for energy, you had 58% of the total installed capacity in 2017 coming from hydroelectric plants, which, you know, you love to hear. And then the other, you also had 20 more percent coming from renewable sources. So you have 78% of New Zealand's energy sources coming from renewables, which you love to see. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. And then going on to my favorite aspect of a country, the military and security component, which I know Erica always giggles at me about. You had in 2021, their total spending on their military was at 1.3% of GDP. Active duty in New Zealand, active duty troops in the New Zealand Defense Force has about 9,600 troops, 4,700 in the Army, 2,300 in the Navy, and 2,600 in the Air Force. The U.S. has been the leading provider of weapons since 2010, and New Zealand has been party to ANZA since 1951, but the U.S. suspended its obligations to defend New Zealand after it had barred nuclear-armed and nuclear-powered warships from its ports. So that kind of comes into a bit of competition of where you have a lot of the naval ships of the U.S. that are nuclear-powered. So it starts to breed some contention there. 
Yeah. But I mean, I kind of get like New Zealand, not wanting to bring any nuclear powers like to their smaller country. I mean, I've, they just got their independence in what, 1947. Like, mm-hmm. I like, don't get me wrong. I understand that they don't want to have things to do with nuclear power and nuclear energy, things like that. However, when you sign a defense agreement with a nuclear power, you're kind of, you're kind of well aware of that. And so that's where it kind of comes into a point of confusion for me of like, I understand that this is a country's kind of moral stance on nuclear weapons, nuclear power. However, you kind of you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like, yeah. I get it. It, yeah. So then it's kind of like, you know, kind of a bit of shock over the U S not wanting to defend you anymore, but then you won't allow it's things at your port. So a little interesting at that point, but the U S and New Zealand did sign the Wellington declaration in 2010, which reaffirmed close ties between the two. And in 2012, they signed the Washington declaration, which provided a framework for future security cooperation and defense dialogues. And New Zealand enjoys major non-NATO ally status with the U S which comes into play with economics and defense. And so Ultimately, it's a little interesting, though, because you still have New Zealand engaging in these defense talks and defense alliances with the U.S., where it still technically is a party of ANZUS. And you also have New Zealand being a part of Five Eyes as well, which we had talked about in our alliance episode. So it's kind of interesting. I remember one of the most interesting facts from that episode was that New Zealand only gave about 1%, I believe that the Five Eyes Alliance had. So it was a little- Yeah, I think you're right. It was very, very minimal. Sorry, just to go back, just to correct myself on that. It wasn't 1%. However, it was for every 99 pieces of intelligence collected from the Five Eyes Alliance, they contributed one. Oh yeah, you're right. It was in regards to intelligence, which it like makes sense that a smaller country- and a newer country wouldn't necessarily have as many capabilities as bigger countries when it comes to defense intelligence. Mm-hmm. But let's get on to New Zealand's transnational issues. They may have the United States as an ally, but they are still facing issues with terrorism from ISIS. They have an international dispute of a territorial claim in Antarctica, and they have a significant consumption of amphetamines, which <laughs> is interesting. Yep. So terrorism by ISIS, also lots of drugs. Yeah. So it's like, you kind of have, you know, these multifaceted issues of where New Zealand, everybody always, I feel like in the the United States, it's kind of common thought of New Zealand is kind of almost like a utopia in a way. And so just hearing these kind of transnational issues, you're seeing that New Zealand isn't immune from the things that the rest of the world is going through, whether that's the drug trade or terrorism. You're also seeing them have very similar issues. And even the international dispute of a territorial claim, we talked about it in our South China Sea episode. Everybody has some issue of some territorial claim out there. I don't. Yeah, we also have an episode on the Arctic. It was actually one of our first few episodes, right, Hunter? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's tons of territorial claims up there, lots of issues, just like the South China Sea, the Arctic, also a big thing. So while this is the Antarctic, you're also seeing these kind of territorial claims go on everywhere. Absolutely. But so moving into our next section, we want to talk a bit about China and New Zealand's relationship. So New Zealand, they had recently put in a updated version of their free trade agreement with China. And 
this essentially cuts tariffs for things that have to do with wood and paper. So like we said, one of New Zealand's big exports is timber or one of their big natural resources is timber and they also like to export it clearly. And so it cuts current tariffs for things like toilet or facial tissue stock that will go down from 7.5% to 6.8% and paper use for writing from 5% to 4.5% and gradually down to zero over the next 10 years, according to our source at Al Jazeera. And another direct quote is 99% of New Zealand's $3 billion wood and paper trade to China to receive tariff-free access over a 10-year implementation period. So you can see that a lot of these products will be going through and China is going to be purchasing a a fair bit of them. Well, we love to hear upgrading to free trade agreements. You know, me and Hunter, we talk about trade so much on this podcast. Like we just had our African and U.S. trade investment episode. If you want to go look at that, I feel, I feel like we're always plugging our old episodes. We really are. But like the thing <laughs> is, it's like there's so much good information that keeps on coming that just keeps on building on top of each other. So while we're not trying to just shamelessly re-promote ourselves, because clearly everybody's already listening to the pod, it really is just another good source for good 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 information you know because yeah it just makes more sense (laughs) you just listen to everything free trade episode that just had to deal with free trade in the northern american continent and it really did provide a lot of insight as to how good free trade is it really links things together for less conflict you have more goods being sent off it really interlinks everybody together which is a great thing because you know more interlinkings leads to more peace so that's kind of speaking of interlinking and shameless plugs. We have our next section talking about New Zealand's zero COVID strategy. And we covered some of this topic back in our zero COVID policy (laughs) with China. So what better way to transition? (laughs) I think we all heard about New Zealand during the entire pandemic, specifically because of how they handled COVID from the beginning, whereas they were a lot more tight with lockdowns and their restrictions, especially like a lot of people in the United States were comparing New Zealand to our, how we were handling things kind of like, look what New Zealand's doing. We should do that. Cause they were, and then they were the first to have a concert, I think after everything shut down for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so everyone's kind of looking at, look at what Z- New Zealand can do. Look at how they're handling it. We need to like go by them. So this article is just interesting to talk about how it, I guess, kind of fell apart. And they said that a riot broke out in the political capital, Wellington, as police and anti-mandate demonstrators fought pitched battles in the parliamentary grounds between below Artem's ninth floor beehive office, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, they always talked about United States. Like, I feel like everybody knows about, you know, January 6th and all of our riots, but I don't think we really heard about New Zealand's as much. Yeah. And I mean, part of that's to do with Ukraine in the news. It's, clearly taking over everything. However, you are seeing that, you know, there's a lot of political frustration that is mounting from these different mandates throughout New Zealand. There was a very strict kind of lockdown process for New Zealand. The country essentially went into a lockdown after there was a case of community spread back in August. So you're seeing that New Zealand, they take a much more hardline approach to dealing with COVID. And we saw that throughout all the beginning of the pandemic. However, you also saw a lot of extremely low numbers, if not zero, for infections and hospitalizations and deaths in New Zealand. And they were able to return to a fairly relatively new normal, you know, much sooner than 
the rest of the world was. However, that also comes with the new kind of strategy for dealing with it of where you're seeing New Zealand, their cases were rising exponentially going into 2022. You're seeing that back in 2021, there were around zero cases. So now that you're seeing that there's thousands of new cases and the seven day averages were increasing back in February, and they've been steadily going down since March, the end of March, I would say. However, that still causes a lot of political tension going on because you had a whole country of people that had and abided by these strict lockdown rules. And now all of a sudden, it seems like a lot of it was for nothing in kind of the mindset. However, with that though, you're seeing the new variant come in where it's a much less lethal variant than was in the beginning. So while you're seeing more infections rise, you're also seeing less serious, less deadly infections, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think people in New Zealand were probably much more willing to comply when it was the very beginning and we didn't know exactly how lockdowns went. And so they were kind of trusting the officials to guide them. And then after Mm -hmm. two years of experiencing it, they're like, we've been new. Like we know how this goes. We know what's going on. We are not okay with these hardline lockdowns because, you know, you did it in the beginning and we're still here battling it like two years later. Like, why should I trust what you're saying and that it's going to work? And especially when you compare it to the United States, like, I think the United States reached that point a lot faster than New Zealand did. Um, Oh, absolutely. But also like, you know, when comparing the two, obviously it's of course important to remember that, you know, New Zealand's literally the size of Colorado, which is one state in the entire United States. And it's an island and only 5 million people. So you're seeing that the things that were working for New Zealand, it wouldn't work throughout the world. However, it doesn't matter for the New Zealand residents there. They're still getting upset that, hey, we still have to have these continuous lockdowns while they're seeing places like the United States go back to a relatively kind of a pre-pandemic type of lifestyle of where masks, they're encouraged, but they're not required. So you're seeing people that are more cautious of COVID utilizing their face masks and face shields and still utilizing those kind of six feet boundaries when they can and not necessarily visiting with as many people, but that's all individual choice. That's not the government mandating it like it had been. So that's where it kind of comes into an interesting play of where, you know, of course there's going to be increased frustrations and tension from people within New Zealand. They're going to get more upset about it while they're seeing the rest of the world kind of go and do these things. Just like people in the United States were frustrated and upset and tensions were rising when New Zealand had zero COVID cases and the U.S. was increasing exponentially. So it's all just kind of relative. And it's really interesting to see how these countries are reacting, especially within New Zealand and how these constituencies are trying to go forward. Yeah. And I definitely think it's a good thing that the government was kind of like reading people's frustrations and was like, you know what, the zero COVID strategy isn't exactly working anymore. So we're going to try a new approach. Unlike China, which if you listen to our zero COVID China episode, they are kind of like, I hear frustration, but doesn't matter. We don't want COVID zero COVID until we don't have any more COVID, which mm-hmm. was it, which was pretty hard, especially when China is similar to size in United States. So like we were just talking about how these hardline measures might not work in the United States and let alone China's trying them. Yeah. And I mean, China's population is, you know, exponentially more than the U.S. is. So it's really interesting to see how China's navigating it. And then also a smaller country like New Zealand and how 
how those tensions are playing out and which governments are choosing to still continue forward with a zero COVID strategy versus, hey, we're just going to accept it as this is kind of going to be the new normal. Absolutely. Well, I don't think we have anything more to talk about on New Zealand unless you have something to add, Hunter. I don't think so. I think that pretty much covers our episode. We wanted to try and go with a bit of a shorter approach to the country analysis. So if y'all are liking this format better of where we're kind of taking capabilities and demographics and then just talking about a couple of the, you know, larger policies that are going on within the country, definitely let us know. Or if you prefer the big long episodes where we talk about almost all the capabilities and almost all of the different abilities and numbers on a country. So definitely let us know, reach out to us on Instagram. You can always utilize our website too. There is a contact form right at the bottom of the homepage. Feel free to do that. We would absolutely love your feedback on the episode just so we can know going forward kind of how you guys want us to give you this information. We're trying our best to kind of read the room, see how y'all are liking the episodes and you know, we would just really appreciate some extra feedback on that. If y'all wouldn't mind taking a second and just filling out that contact form at the bottom. Yes. Hunter's Knives birthday is coming up fast in June. And what better birthday present for us than some feedback for us to make better content for you all. Yes. We would both greatly appreciate it coming from your hot girl Gemini host. So With that, thank you so much for listening, and we cannot wait to see you on Monday for a full-length episode. So thank you all, and tune in next week. Bye. Bye.